Today, I'm interviewing Lynn Power. Lynn is truly a powerhouse. You're gonna love this conversation. She was a career ad executive and former CEO of J. Walter Thompson and is now turned to entrepreneur. She launched Masami, a clean premium hair care company in February, 2020. And then in September of 2020, she launched a luxury bee-powered home fragrance company called Isle de Nature. She loves disrupting the status quo and creating products that are good for us and the environment. And she is such a great example of keeping things interesting, reinvention and resilience. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Inspired Wave, stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week, you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact, and together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. I am so excited to introduce you today to Lynn Power. She has an amazing, inspirational story that she's going to be sharing at least part of with us today. Lynn, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is great. So everyone just heard a little bit about you and your venture, current venture. But before we dig into your story, can you just let us know where you're currently living and anything else you'd like to share before we get going? Sure. Yeah, I'm currently hunkered down in the Berkshires, which I have to say it is it is paradise so i can't complain although i am pretty much pretty isolated because i am dealing with cancer which is why i am bald <laughs> and yes i appreciate the irony of being a bald hair care founder <laughs> but i only have one more chemo round to go so knock on wood that goes well and then i'm next year will hopefully be a better year Fabulous. Well, much, yeah, much going on in your life. Thank you for chiseling out some time to share and inspire us. And tell everyone where the Berkshires are. Yeah, Berkshires are about two hours and change north of New York City. It's Western Massachusetts. It really looks like the south of France. I'm not BSing. It's really beautiful here, very country. Actually, where I live in Sheffield, Massachusetts, it's the highest number of antique stores per capita in the, I think, I'm not sure if it's the world or the U.S., but that's just a little wow. fun fact. Wow. Yeah. I didn't so know that. Antiquing, this is the place to come. And I will absolutely support your claim of how beautiful it is there because I've been through there a lot and I love it. It's gorgeous. So where do you want to start? Tell us a little about your background and, you know, what made you, you, I guess, the lead up? <laughs> wow. That's a big question. But I would try to cut it down into manageable bits. So yeah, I spent 30 years, basically my entire career working in the ad industry. I wasn't planning on getting into the ad industry. I graduated from college in 1989 and there was a bit of a hiring freeze going on at the time. Mm -hmm. I had actually applied to the FBI. I wanted 
You know, I, it sounds crazy, but it, there is, I've realized now, like in hindsight, there is a linkage between advertising and solving crimes because it's problem solving. Ah, That's what of- I think I gravitated to. And that was what appealed to me about it. But that I basically got a letter because back in those days, you know, you had to actually wait for the mail to get a letter about, you know, did you get the job or not? And it said, good news is you're on the list. Bad news is there's a hiring freeze. Check back in in six months. I was living with my parents. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long six months. I got to find something to do. So I took the newspaper again, old school, old school, yep. cut out the ads, circled the ads, cut them out and found this uh, recruiter named Beverly Von Winkler, who took me under her wing and basically said to me, you can type really well, which I think is an underappreciated talent, by the way. Typing is a really good talent to have because I'm a really fast and really good typer. And she basically sent me on an interview at an ad agency for a receptionist. And she said, just take the job. And they offered me the job on the spot because I was breathing and (laughs) available. And I loved it. And that was my intro into advertising. And from there, you know, I worked my way up and I started in Chicago. And then I ended up moving to New York with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And I worked at some of the best ad agencies in the world, you know, BBDO. Wow. Ogilvy and Mather. Um, I worked at Gray. I worked at McCann. And then I was president of Arnold in New York City. And then I became the CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York. And J. Walter Thompson at the time was, when I was there, was the oldest ad agency in the world at 153 years, I believe. Wow. Um, and, one of the largest, and one of the largest, two, $2 billion ad agencies. So that was a lot of my life for a really long time. And we could talk a lot about it, but it's not really that interesting. It's like watch Mad Men right. and kind of get the gist because that was kind of what it was like in the early days. Wow. But, Incredible. But it was a very, for a lot of reasons, it's a very stimulating job because you get to work on lots and lots of different categories and different businesses. And that to me is, again, problem solving. I'm somebody who likes to be doing different things and you know, connecting the dots in different ways and thinking about different issues. And so it's really a good industry for people who have that kind of brain like I do, where you just, you know, you're curious, you want to learn about chicken nuggets, or you want to learn about Campari, or you want to learn about pain relief or whatever it is you're working on at the time. And that really feeds that curiosity and allowed me to really enjoy you know, applying creativity as a business tool, which is essentially what it is. Right. Um, no wonder you did so well in it because you can tell you're passionate. You really enjoyed what you were doing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, let's say I enjoyed it until I didn't enjoy it right. Right. <laughs> because, you know, one of the things that happens as you are good at something you do is you get promoted. Well, not always, but right. often, oftentimes yeah. I did find that stereotypically women were not promoted as easily or quickly. And I had to jump ship to go to another you know, agency to get a better job and that kind of thing. But eventually I did get to the CEO job and, you know, you do kind of have this, at least I did, I had this expectation that it would be a really glamorous job. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. yep. And running a big ad agency, 
you know, th even the celebrity talent that we would use. I mean, I got to meet Matthew McConaughey. I got to meet Heather Locklear, Andy McDowell, uh, lots of L'Oreal celebrities, Eva Longoria, you know, wh whatever. But when you're the CEO, it's not exactly glamorous. In fact, it's the opposite because <laughs> you're dealing with a lot of the issues. You're the one that has to put out all the fires. So yep. nobody's coming to you to thank you or tell you how great things are. People only want to complain. So you've got, you know, lawsuits, HR issues, finance issues. That's pretty that. much your day. And I just kind of realized in 2018, I'd been doing it. I was at JWT for four years and I'm like, I'm not having fun. This really is not what I set out to do. And it's a grind. And every day feels like I'm having to like pull myself out of bed to just get into the office and solve, you know, it is problem solving, which I said I liked, but not this kind of problem solving. <laughs> yeah, got it. So at what point did you realize that it wasn't fun anymore? How long did it take you to, for that to really sink in and for you to start thinking about doing something different? I would say two years. And I think I'm guilty of the same thing a lot of women are, which is we want to be team players. We don't want to disappoint anyone. We don't want to let anyone down. We want to be there for the people that we hired. And so even though I was not happy, I kind of stuck it out for a while because I just didn't want to leave people in the lurch. Yeah. And at some, you know, I obviously at some point I realized, okay, that's just not helping anyone. And I really just need to do something that I want to do and kind of take control back of my life because I've been working all my life servicing other people's businesses and other people's brands. And what if I could actually do it for myself? And what would that look like? And that was really when I started thinking about that and realizing, you know, I'm in a position, this is where being an older founder is a really good thing because you've seen everything. Uh -huh. You know, it's like nothing phases you. And I'm in a position where I can take a risk and it's not going to matter because I've already accomplished what I want to accomplish, you know? Mm -hmm. So in a way it was like, well, if I do it my way and it bombs, at least I tried. Yeah. And if I do it my way and it's successful, I'll have fun and I'll have control and I'll be able to do it the way I want to do it. So it's very, it was very appealing when I started thinking about that. It's yeah. hard to, it's hard to kind of like shove that thought into back into the box. Once it's out there, it's like, oh, that's something that I need to pursue. And then, of course, then it's like, okay, well, then what is it that I want to do? But this is where I think the universe presents ideas or opportunities and you just have to grab them. And in my case, there were several. I mean, I could have gone down multiple lanes. I chose two. Two is even too many because yeah. I'm crazy and I like to do a lot and I like to be busy. But I met my hair care founder in 2018, my co-founder. He'd been working on our formulations for about 10 years and was at the point where he felt he had them pretty well, you know, figured out, but didn't know how to commercialize the business. And, you know, I'd spent my career basically commercializing business, you know, so it's actually been a fantastic partnership because we're very complimentary and the stuff he does, which is, you know, figuring out ingredients and formulations and textures and whatnot, I can't do. I mean, that, that is well beyond my expertise. And he really can't do what I do. And so it's a really very respectful and mutually beneficial relationship. And on top of that, we're friends and we're like family now. 
literally like we spend holidays together and we are literally like family. And I just think having the luxury, I'll call it, of being able to work with who you want, how you want, when you want. It's just amazing. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, how long did you know your co-owner before you decided to go into business together? Because that's a slippery slope to take on a partner. And, you know, for both of you, that was a a risk. Did you know him well? No. And I had had a partner in a business before that that didn't turn out so good, which was a good thing because I'd sort of learned to ask the right questions and know the watch outs. But my husband was the one that introduced me to James, my co-founder. So there was a link and they had worked together for a couple of years. So it wasn't like he was a stranger. He was, you know, and he's a pretty, the thing I appreciate about him, he's a pretty upfront personality. Like what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no playing games. There's no hidden agenda. I mean, we have very much the same values and vision. And that I think is the key. Yes. If you align on the values and you align on the vision, it's hard to get it. It's hard to screw everything else up then, because ultimately those are the things that are going to drive the business, your innovation, your decisions you're making, who you're bringing on your team and how you're moving forward. And if those things match, you're in pretty good shape. Awesome. And I think the other thing that you did that was smart was you partnered with someone with complementary skills, like a lot of people decide they want to go into business, but they don't have all the skills they need to do what they want to do. And the two of you together brought everything to the table. So that was very, very smart of you as well. Well, it's interesting because I know a ton of other female founders, especially now, and it's one of the questions I get a lot, especially from the solopreneurs, is how do you pick a a partner? How do you find a partner that's going to work? And what I see, and I was sort of guilty of this too, it's like there's temptation in wanting to find somebody who's like a clone of yourself because it's comfortable. It's like you think you're going to be aligned because you're so similar. Right. But the reality is the similarities actually end up being ultimately disconnects at some point because you're tripping over each other or you're you're just not you're not maximizing the business potential that way. Yeah. I mean you may have similar strengths which brought you together, but you also have similar weaknesses that probably which would be a problem. Yeah. Not a good move. So so interesting. So what was your I mean, did you have any fears before you jumped or did you spend some time building the business before you left your the job you had at the advertising firm? Or tell us a little about the process of launching this business and deciding to. Yeah, it was actually kind of a multi-step process because I was when I decided to leave the advertising world, I actually started a consultancy with a partner and we were working with startups. Part of my desire to work with startups was to get closer to the creation process and have impact on the business, you know? So, so many of the companies and clients I was working for in the ad and the ad world are just so huge and so unwieldy and so slow that by the time you actually got them to agree to anything, it would be out of date, you know? It's like mm-hmm. the world has moved beyond. So I just really 
wanted to get back to like, I wanted to work with founders and be able to make an impact on their business. So that was what I started doing. And I was really enjoying it because for all the reasons I kind of just said, it was really gratifying. So that was a good first step towards entrepreneurship because I could see what was happening at that founder level with other businesses. So then when I decided to make that step a few months later to do it myself, it was like, I kind of had a little peek into the, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, behind the curtain at the Wizard of Oz, you know, you kind of see what's, oh, okay, that's actually what's going on there. Okay, now I know and I can figure it out. But that was really helpful because then I could kind of figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get this business off the ground? And so much of it is fundamentals. So to anyone who's thinking about launching a business or you're just thinking about a career change, I mean, the scary part is for me was just the unknowns and the unpredictability. And of course, when COVID hit, that was a big one. Yeah. But what you can control is like your plan, your brand positioning, your story, your content. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can line up in your favor and you just have to take a little time to sort it and figure it out. But it's really important. And I find a lot of founders don't want to be bothered with that stuff. You know, they kind of just want to move on to the product and just sell it. But it's like you're doing yourself a disservice if that's what you do. Because, you know, really these days, especially people want transparency into who's behind a brand or behind a company. They want to know what the values are. They want to know if you've got any kind of, you know, charitable or CSR type program. You know, you can't just put products out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing because it forces brands to be, I think, better corporate citizens. Yeah, it makes sense. You think of entrepreneurs and founders as being very creative. And so you just want to go and get your thing out there. But you have to slow down to speed up is yeah. what I'm hearing you say. You really have to have that core foundation built before you can really take off. Well, and I would say there are ways you can mitigate the fear. If you do have a job and you're thinking about leaving it, you don't have to leave it right away. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of what we've just talked about while you're working and get a lot of the ducks in a row and get you know a network in place of people that you can bounce things off of and start building that out. And then that makes it a lot easier when you do make the leap because you've already vetted your idea. You know, you've already got people that, you know, have given you good advice. You know, you're a step ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. That's another mistake I see people make sometimes is like going from all to nothing. Like it's like just do it like severing that, that corporate job. And then suddenly you're starting from scratch, but there's really no reason you need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> get some of the ducks yeah. in a row first makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Don't leap yet. So I know before I hit record, we were talking a little bit about one of the obstacles you've run up against as an older founder being ageism, which kind of surprised me. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or any other obstacles that may have surprised you along the way that you've been working with? Yeah. Ageism was definitely one that I was not prepared for. I mean, I've had obstacles being a woman CEO, mm -hmm. and that's probably a whole nother episode. But yeah, ageism, I just, I've never thought of myself as old. I, in my head, I'm still probably 29. You know what I mean? Like, I just, just didn't occur to me that that was really a thing. But when I launched my business, I found out it's a very real thing, especially from the investment community. 
And I guess the thing that surprised me about it is that there are a lot of studies that are very easy to find if you just like literally Google successful founders, you know, the average age of successful founders. There's a lot of studies that say that founders over 40 or founders with experience are significantly more successful, tend to be more successful than younger founders. And so for me, it was like, well, if the data says that, and if you're an investor and you're trying to make a good investment, why wouldn't you want to bet on somebody who's got the experience and the data is telling you is going to have a better chance of pulling it off? But I think it's just not sexy, unfortunately. Hmm. I think it's just, you know, a lot of investors want to support or invest in the 22-year-old drop out of college, came up with this crazy idea, you know, built this company out of a garage kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's room for that for sure. I mean, those stories are amazing, but I was really surprised at the level of sort of skepticism that I ran into. Wow. Yeah. So that led me to not take investment money <laughs> because like, why do I want to deal with people who are going to question my decisions or my abilities? Right. Yeah, that makes no sense at all to me when the more experience you bring forward to founding a new business, the more chance it has of of succeeding. That makes no sense. But so heads up to anyone who is looking into starting a business that may take funding, not something... I would have thought of. Anything else that surprised you in the ramp up? I mean, other than the pandemic, which you weren't expecting and must have sent things in a little bit of a tailspin. I'd say a couple things. I mean, certainly the supply chain issues were very real for us because we had products sitting on a boat. We had products sitting in a port. We had, you know, we dealt with that. So that was certainly, you know, something that we had to kind of wrap our heads around and figure out how to overcome. But it was a challenge that I think a lot of brands are having or had and are still having. So, you know, there are ways around it. It's just you got to kind of rethink it. That was certainly a challenge. I would say, yeah, I mean, the challenges that COVID presented in terms of from a business perspective, like, okay, we can't get into salons. Salons are a key channel for us. What do we do? You know, so... In that case, we decided to really focus on our direct-to-consumer business and build out our Amazon business and other things because there is a pragmatic reality of like, you just can't get into salons right now. Right. And we were able to get into some great ones ultimately like Spoken Wheel, but it wasn't something that was as obvious. The big challenge that I had was getting cancer, which came out of nowhere. So when you have a health issue like that, you have to really rethink and reprioritize. And that's scary because, I mean, I'm set up to run my business a certain way. Now, all of a sudden, it's like I'm not dictating my calendar anymore. My cancer is. I can't, you know, I have to make my chemo appointments. I can't miss these, you know, the schedules. So that's also can be really scary and emotionally scary as well. Not just sort of like daunting from a, how am I going to get things done perspective? Um, And as I've been out there and talking about this, I found there's just so many people who are dealing with either, I mean, cancer is sadly so prevalent. So it's, People have loved ones or they've dealt with it or, you know, or they have other issues. And so I've also come to appreciate more and more how important it is to be 
an empathetic leader because you don't always know what people are going through. Yeah. You know, and you kind of just assume everybody's fine and they're powering on. And a lot of times they're not. And in fact, COVID, I think, has really done a number on a lot of people's mental health. Yeah. And so I'm always telling people now, like, don't assume just because somebody hasn't complained to you or you haven't heard that there's a problem, don't assume everything's okay. Like, take the time to check in with people, to, you know, have a human connection with people not just a work status call and really see how they're doing. Cause you know, you may end up being kind of surprised um, and it's just human. Yeah. Yeah. Life happens. That's yeah. such a great reminder. Thank you. Because especially I think in this time of so much remote work for not just, you know, startup founders, but so many of us working from home even when you have a team, you're not seeing them and having those interactions at the coffee pot or whatever people do. So you have to be a little more intentional, I think, to connect with them as people and not just, you know, someone on the other side of the, the screen and the to-do list that's pushing the tasks through the chain. That's a really, really great point. And do you have any recommendations or things you've done to, do you have much of a team? So I'm lucky because I've got my partner, James, mm -hmm. and he's amazing. And I've got a high school friend of mine that works with me and she works her butt off. And, you know, she keeps asking me to like, she's like, give me more to do. Cause she, you know, she sees that some days I'm completely wrecked and, but it's, it's been so amazing to have her just be part of all of it. And then my brother works with me nice. and, you know, he and I talk almost every day and it's been an absolute blessing and godsend and pleasure to work with him. Like we have just, I mean, we always got along, but it's taken our relationship to even the next level. So I, what I've had to do is, you know, I have people around me that I trust already completely, like completely trust these people. So now I've just had to figure out, okay, what can I delegate? and give them. So one of the things that's been really useful to me is the fact that I work with people around me that I trust completely. So I mentioned James, I mentioned Kristen and my brother, Jeff and my family too. I can't leave them out. And I've had to really figure out when people are saying they want to help, you know, I used to be the person to be like, no, 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 I got it. Now I'm kind of like, okay, yes, you can help and here's what you can do. And it's been really nice because I have been able to figure out how to rebalance my life in a way that makes sense and prioritize things. And some of it I can control and some of it I can't. So that's great. And what a valuable place to get to where you can take care of yourself. You can allow people to help you and reprioritize and take care of you. That's while you keep the business going. That's yeah, good for you. That's definitely a little side turn that you weren't expecting that you're having to navigate as a business owner. Yeah, but you know what? I will say that the blessing of that is that I do think it's made us even closer. And I think, you know, when you have a team like that, that you can really count on, like I said, it is in some cases, literally family. And in other cases, it's like family. It just makes your work, not your work. 
Yeah. And to me, that's the ultimate life is when you can blend your work and your personal life into a really fulfilling, whatever you want to call it. A whole package. (laughs) Package. Thank you. Yes. And that goes for travel too. Like, cause I've had to put travel on pause, but next year we're going to try to get to Japan and I'm going to bring all these people. I'm going to be able to bring Kristen and my brother and his wife. And like, we're going to just have a blast. And that's just the experiences that I think really enrich, you know, what you do every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And we all spend so much time at whatever our work is. It's just so important to be able to have it align with your values and enjoy, just enjoy it and the people you're with. So tell us about this amazing hair product that you have dove into and brought to the world. When is it you launched again? And in February of 2020 at New York Fashion Week, which was right before COVID lockdowns happened. And none of us knew what was going to happen last year, obviously. Um, So we're still sorting all that out. But we are a clean premium hair care brand with a Japanese ocean botanical that's all about weightless hydration. Everyone needs hydration, especially as you age, by the way, it's even more important. And most people have, when they have hair complaints, like they say my hair is unmanageable or it's frizzy or it's dull or it's lifeless or whatever, it's usually because it's not hydrated. So our products are botanical hydration, no sulfates, no parabens, no phthalates. They're super high performing salon quality. And they are vegan, they're cruelty-free, they're gender neutral. And we give back to ocean research where we, you know, where we get our main ingredient because we feel like when we take from the earth, we should replenish. So that is what we are trying to do. And it's amazing. And yeah, I just get really stoked when people try our products and they really love them. I got an email from this woman, Dina couple days ago. And she's like, I'm in my sixties and I have hated my hair and your products have completely transformed my hair. And I now like love my hair again. To me, that is like, it's all worth it. Oh yeah. And it's so, I mean, it's the little things sometimes like it just, I mean, to make men or women feel good about, you know, what they're carrying around with them all day is amazing. So tell us the name of the products and can people get it on your website or? So it's Masami. Our website is Love Masami, L-O-V-E-M-A-S-A-M-I. You can also check us out on any social channel at Love Masami Hair. I was Uh, thinking you probably have a nice Instagram channel. Yeah, we do. (laughs) And we're also on Amazon. So that's nice. But we're also, we're on Amazon actually in US, Canada, UK, Singapore. I'm, I'm missing somewhere, but anyway. Yeah. So, and I think your point about self-esteem is so spot on because I can tell you now that I don't have hair, it's challenging. It really is. It's like, not that my hair was such a crowning glory, but I was a wash and go kind of person and my hair products worked great for me. And I felt my hair was the best it could be for me. And now it's like, it's tough. But, but, But the fact that I have clean hair care, which means safe for people like me who have no immune system and safe for, you know, anyone who's looking to detox their beauty routine. Once I start growing my hair back, it will be a nice treat (laughs) to be able to have now my products that are going to be hopefully helping me regain that confidence back. Yeah. And that luster. Yeah. 
it's true. I think that physical elements like our hair or our eyes or our smile is just we we see it as part of who we are. And typically, if something's going to change, it changes gradually <laughs> rather than the immediacy of what you went through. So all of a sudden you look in the mirror and it kind of sort of doesn't look like you anymore. So that must have been a little bit of a shock. But I've seen you in some really fun hats. So you're having fun with it. I'm having fun with it. And yeah, I'm not a wig person. So, and I'm not that far off from hopefully my hair growing back. And look, I know a lot of cancer patients who actually said their hair grew back even better and fuller. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that will be true for me, but it will be an interesting experiment. We will find out. <laughs> yes. Look forward to that. So any last words of advice you'd like to give anyone who is stuck in doing something with the majority of their time that they really aren't enjoying? Yeah, I would say find something else to do. <laughs> Reignite your passion. And you know, sometimes people don't have an obvious passion, but sometimes it's sitting right in front of you. You know, it's your hobby. Mm -hmm. It's a side gig. It's something that you just did for fun. And these days you can monetize just about anything. I just met a founder this morning who started a company with of pickleball supplies called Netty. So it's like, you can pretty much figure out how to do anything if you put yeah. your heart into it. And so if you're miserable and you're just stuck, just take a look around. Also, I found that one of the best things you can do is get a fresh perspective. Talk to people outside your inner circle, mm -hmm. meet new people, go on. There are a couple platforms I can suggest. One's called Lunch Club, free to join. They introduce you to a you know, a random person each week. It's not dating, trust me, but it's, you know, it's, you meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet that are going to like, maybe give you a different way of thinking about something. Another one is called current C-U-R-N-T uh -huh. and you can join as well. And you can get on a panel about almost any subject matter and you'll learn, you'll learn stuff. So mm -hmm. You can start there and from there, hopefully that escalates into something bigger and then you can get out of the job you hate, but don't wait. Yeah. Waiting is, is the worst thing you can do. And I will just say that, you know, matter what, maybe you have a vision, but you don't see creating it for a couple of years. As long as you hold that vision and you take little baby steps toward it, it's going to spark that interest and excitement and fire you up. You just need to get in motion toward something that excites yes. you again. That's what I tell my children, just start yeah. something. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've had that conversation with one or two of mine as well, because you don't know until you get moving and then other things will come exactly. to you along the way. It's great advice. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. I know there's a lot of jewels here that people can take away and inspire them to hopefully take action and pursuing a dream and whatnot. So thank you for sharing with us. I appreciate you and your time. And thank you everyone for listening. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, CJ. If you're like most women, 
you have a big dream on your heart and really want to make a positive impact in the lives of others. But self-doubt, fear, or other limiting beliefs often get in your way. What many women don't realize is that the one thing that can catapult them forward is deepening their self-love and self-esteem. So I have a free ebook for you that's really going to help you in this area. It's called 30 Days to Deepen Self-Love, and you can download it at the link in our show notes. Enjoy.